Right. Now, let me start off with this. Uh, I think if we were all honest in our relationship with Christ, and I think that I'm predominantly right now speaking to mostly people who know Jesus, love Jesus. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend, and so the only people who go to church on Memorial Day weekend are people who love Jesus, usually. And so um, I know that as a person who loves Jesus myself, I have a tendency to wrestle with what it looks like to grow in my relationship with God. And um, I, I kind of compare myself to a person that's in Scripture. And I, we're going to look at two different kind of people today. We're going to predominantly look at one guy today. His name's the Apostle Paul. But we're also going to look at a guy named David. And I think if a lot of us were very honest about where our relationship with the Lord is, I think we would say that we're very much more like David than we are like Apostle Paul. And I'll, I'll give you, if you read the Psalms, you see David in one chapter saying, you know, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, as a deer pants for water, so my heart thirsts for you. I long for you. I want you. And, and he's got this in, insatiable desire to want to know God and love God. And he's just so on fire for the things of God. And then literally, either a page later, or maybe even on the same page, you'll get a verse like, Where have you gone, O Lord? You have forsaken me. How can I live? I would rather die. Okay. So, like, that's like the same page. Like, 24 is I love you. 25 is like there is no God. And I think if we were all honest, I think that's a lot of how we are. One week we're like, I love you, Jesus. You're the best thing. And then next week you're like, where are you? You have left me. How many of you identify with that? Anybody identify with that? And then... You got a guy named the Apostle Paul who's just a totally different character all in, his, in himself because for the most part, every time you read Paul, it seems like he's like Superman on a mountain like with his cape blowing in the wind. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Okay, so this is how it goes. So you'll have people go, we're going to kill you, Paul. And he's like, well, to die is, to die is gain. Okay, well, we're going to torture you. We're going to torture you. Well, to suffer in this present life, hey, no big deal. Okay, all right, well, we're going to throw you in prison. That's all right, give me a hymnal. I'll sing to Jesus. That's fine. Okay, well, listen, then you can just go ahead and live. Well, good. Well, to live is Christ. I mean, it's like you can never offend this dude. Like, constantly, you're throwing everything at him, and he's like, well, he's got something for it. And I think a lot of times when you read the Apostle Paul, you're like, man, there's no way. This guy's just like on a totally different, another level. But today I want to read Philippians 3 because I want y'all to show how he got to that place. And then secondly, he's not the Superman that you think of. He had some real dark moments as well in his life. So Philippians chapter 3, I want us to go there and I want us to read a couple of things here. We're going to read through and then we're going to stop and kind of dialogue through. Well, it's, no, it's a monologue because you don't really get to talk back as much. But we're going to talk through this. 3-1 it says this. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your scripture. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh... I have what? Come on, you say that with me. I have more. 
Let me, let me just stop real quick there. What's going on? And I'll, I'll just kind of catch you up to what's going on here. Paul is addressing the Philippians church, and he is addressing um, some very, very religious people. And those were very religious people are telling the churches there that if you really love Jesus and if you're really on fire for Jesus, not only are you going to love Jesus, but you're also going to get circumcised. Now, that's not good news to a man who gave his heart to Jesus at 40 and then is told, oh, by the way, you've got to get circumcised. Am I the only one that finds that a bit odd? Hey, come to our Savior's church, man, love Jesus. And you come down here and you pray and you're like, oh, by the way, I forgot to, I left one thing out. I don't know if this is a deal breaker or not, but you got to get circumcised. And the circumcision room is right back here if you go, and if you really love Jesus. And so Paul is showing up on the scene going, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And what is happening is all these religious guys are saying, well, if you're going to really love Jesus and you've got to obey all these laws and you've got to do all these things, and yes, Jesus is great, but there's a lot of other extra stuff that you've got to do. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to now give his resume of all the things that he's done. So look what it says. Verse 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day, so he got it done. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law. And then what's the next word? Blameless. Blameless. Which means what? Perfect. Perfect. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, if I was to pull this verse, verses four through six into 2012 language, this is what he says. When I was born, I was born actually in the church. Like my, my, my mother, like pfft, right there. And I was like born on the altar. They just circumcised me right after the eighth day. I was water baptized right then and there. And then I went to Sunday school my entire life. I did everything that they told me to do. I was the kid that every parent pointed to for their kids to be like. I was upright. I came from an incredible heritage of family. I have the greatest pedigree that you could ever. If you, if you think you got a great family, I had a great family. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Oh, and then also I was a Pharisee as well, which meant I memorized the first three or four books of the Bible. I know all that. I did all those things. Oh, and then by the way, the law, like the 600 commandments, blameless. Booyah. That's what he's saying. But I, but I want you to see because he takes a little different thing here because it's very important for us to realize this. Even though he was this type of kid and he was this type of person, very moral and very religious in his upbringing, he's going to say something in just a minute that's going to very much disturb what they have built everything on. And if I was to put myself into these shoes as well, I am the type of guy, if any of you know my story, I was the type of guy that I was the firstborn in my home. I had two other siblings that came behind me. I was from pretty much from birth a pretty obedient child. My mom would always brag that she would bring me into church and have me sit through. At those times, they used to go to a church where they would have like two to three hour services. And I was three or four years old and I would sit in a seat and just sit there and listen. Now, you don't hear that for a three or four year old, but that's just what I did. 
And growing up, I was a pretty much, for the most part, an obedient child. I did the things that my parents wanted me to do. I excelled in school. I did all the sports. I went to all the Christian things. And, and for the most part, if parents were trying to find a kid to emulate, my parents would say, you would want to emulate Josh. He's the perfect child. And then they had a second child and just proved that I was even more perfect because the second child was a hellion. So it just upped my ante of how great I was. This is going on through all throughout junior high and high school. I, I didn't really ever really get in trouble. Never had sex before I got married. Never did drugs. The closest thing I did to drugs was I like maybe OD'd on Reese's Pieces or something. I don't know. That's about it. Never drank alcohol. Never smoked a cigarette. Never cared to. Surrounded by it. Had it all around me. Never did it. And for a lot of people, they would boast in that. They would boast in that. I never did this. I never did this. And all you hellions that do all this kind of stuff. And Paul's saying that. So I identify with Paul to a degree here. I understand what that's like. Did I mess up? Absolutely. But if you talk to my grandma, she would think I was the perfect child. It's not it's furthest from the truth. But I want you to see here because he's about to take a big twist here because this is what he says. Look at me in verse 7. So he goes down his pedigree of all the things that he's done that were really, really good. And then verse 7 says this, but, but, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as what? What do you say? I counted as what? I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now look at this. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all the things and I count them as what? Rubbish. Underline that in your Bible. I count them all as rubbish. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you want to boast in how great you are, I can boast way more than you can. But when I met Jesus, all of those lists of everything that I did really, really well, I count those as rubbish. Now, if you understand what the word rubbish means, they're making it to sound like a very pretty word. Right beside it, I have what the Greek word of rubbish means, which it actually means dog crap. And actually, it really means something a lot stronger, but I can't use that word in here because I'm going to get a lot of emails. Starts with an S. And that's what he refers to his goodness and his morality as, as dog crap. All the vacation Bible schools, all the memory verse, all the good things, all the great stuff, all the circumcision, all the stuff. You know what I view that as? Without Christ, it's crap. It's crap. And I, and I, I think this is in your notes but I want you to write this down. If you get religion and you get morality, but you don't get Jesus, you've made a horrible trade. You've made a horrible trade. And so many people get into church to get religion and to get good behavior and, to, and, they, don't, and they miss Jesus. And it is a horrible trade. A horrible trade. Listen, we teach in OSC kids not to try to make your kids good kids because your kids are bad kids like my kids. I try to not make them good kids. I want to make them godly kids. I want my kids to love Jesus, to not want to be good so that Jesus will love them. I want them to love Jesus, and therefore they want to do good. Do you understand the difference? I'll talk about it in just a minute. So if you get religion and you get the good acts and you get the good stuff, but you don't get Jesus, you just made a horrible trade. And to look like Christ, but to not to know Christ, man, that's horrible as well. 
But I want you to look this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here because I want to spend a lot more time on the end. Look at verse 9. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may what? Come on, say it with me. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We a lot of times like to underline know him, and I like the power of resurrection. That's some good stuff. We don't like to do the next one, though. And that I may share in his what? In his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Most people don't have that one highlighted. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on and make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, if we could be very, very honest, I want you to see a couple of things here. Verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained this or that I am already perfect. Now, if we, I think we could all agree that, that Paul is on a whole other level than we are. Would you all agree about that? He's on a whole other relationship level with Jesus than when we are. And I want to sh- show you a couple of things on how he is because he's on a totally different level than where you are. Okay, here's, here's how it works. When people get sick at our Savior's church, when people here are sick, this is what we do. We normally have them stand up, have people go around them and what? Put hands on them and pray for sickness, right? Like when Paul saw people were sick, he looked at them and was like, you're not sick anymore. Like that's a whole other level. Like the Bible says, like when Paul would pass by somebody, when his shadow would hit them, they would be healed. That's a whole nother level. Any of y'all experienced that lately? Like walk by somebody and they like got up from the hospital. You're like, what in the world? Paul's been to the third heaven. Paul's responsible for writing 75% of the New Testament. I mean, Paul was so anointed that after he, he worked on tents, and when he worked on tents, he, he, had, he was a tent maker. He would have an apron, and he, he would have like a sweat rag. And the Bible says that people would sneak in to his house and go grab his apron and his sweat rag, and they would bring it to people who were sick and put it on them, like his sweat, and put it on them, and they would be healed. Like, how many would say that's just a whole nother level? I don't want to touch anything that's of yours that is sweaty. Nothing. Get it away get it as far away from me as possible. But for Paul, it's on a totally different level. Uh, keep your hand there, but I want you to go to the left, and I just want you to see this real quick, and we're going to do this real quick. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I just want you to see what this man has gone through that we're talking about, and then I want us to come back and see how he got here. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. This is not on the screen because I just put it in last night, but it's in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24, and I want you to see a couple of things that he says. These are things that Paul has endured. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Now, do y'all know that Jesus was, y'all know Jesus was beat with rods and y'all know the scourging that he went through, which was 39 lashings, y'all all know that? Paul went through it five times. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. That's not the stones you're thinking of, okay? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. Now, I want you to look at this. I was in danger from rivers. I was in danger from robbers. I was in danger from my own people. I was in danger from Gentiles. I was in danger in the city. I was in danger in the wilderness. I was in danger at sea. I was in danger from false brothers. How many of you think he was in danger? That's a lot of danger. 
In toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So he's a pastor as well because he's got to worry about all his churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my what? Anybody see that word? Shows my what? My weakness. So can we all just agree that Paul is just on a totally different level? Like your boss chewed you out this week and it messed up your day. I mean, the guy got beat 39 lashes five times. And like, you know, a customer came up and cussed you out and you're like all frayed. I mean, the man is like impoverished. He's done great. He's done bad. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. If you know about the part he was stoned, he was actually actually dead. God raised him back up to life. And guess where he goes back? He goes back into the same city of the people who stoned him. How many of you would agree that that's a totally another level than you are? Right? Let's read this, Philippians 3. And I want you to see something here. Verse 12 says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. If there's anybody that's made it, I would say the apostle Paul has made it. Would you all not agree? I mean, we're like, God, just show us your glory. I mean, this guy's like third heaven, shadows healing people, handkerchiefs hitting people. If there's anybody that can go, my relationship with God is great, it would be the Apostle Paul. And here we have in verse 12 that he says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. I still got room to grow. There is a holy discontentment within him to want to grow and to know more of God. A holy discontentment. And I think we would all agree that he's definitely passionate about the Lord. And there is, but there's just this angst in him that I need more. I want more of God. And I'll just be very, very honest. Very honest. I was a church kid. I grew up in church, grew up around church, had phenomenal grandparents that absolutely passionately loved the Lord. I had great parents uh, that pushed me to love God. I had all those things going for me. And can I just be honest that there was a season from probably childhood to, man, 17 or 18, that I knew of God but didn't know God. And I was okay with that. I was content with that. I went to church and did all the church things that every church kid should do. But I have had this insatiable desire over these past couple of years to address this thing that I see in our church, which is this contentment to be satisfied with where we are in our relationship with Jesus. And I have learned this, that the people who have the most exposure to God, like a kid who only goes to private school and has Christian parents, 
that the people who have the most exposure to God are a lot of times the people who are furthest from God. And if we're not careful as people who are church people who go to church pretty, pretty routinely, that we can, as I talked about last week, we can get into this routine of things where we go through the church motions and we're content with just going and singing a couple songs and hearing a message, but really never, ever pursuing and pressing in to know God more. Are y'all with me here? I know it's getting really quiet in this Presbyterian church, but I'm starting to step on toes. I can see it. And this is why it hits home, because that was me. I had so much exposure to God, I was inoculated to him. Y'all know, like, when somebody punches you so much in this, like, they can just keep punching you and you'll never feel it? That's what happens with sermons. Do you know that? I just hear another great sermon. It was a great, great sermon, good sermon, great sermon. I'm going to tell you, as pastors, I, it's one thing to hear, yeah, that was a great sermon, but the way that you show me that was a great sermon is that I show you how to live like Christ and then you go live like Christ. That's how you show me it was a great sermon. Is that we go and we live out the things that we're hearing from the pulpit, also what we're reading in Scripture. And we see Paul with this insatiable desire. He's got this holy discontentment. So I want to walk you through a couple of things that I believe why he has this holy discontentment. This is why he's not always the man with the cape. He's always searching for more. Okay, here we go. Number one. You get to write some notes now. Number one is this. How do we develop a holy discontentment? You compare yourself to the holiness of God. You compare yourself to the holiness of God. Oftentimes, we judge our spirituality not by the holiness of God, but by comparing our lives to what? Other people. I'm just as guilty. I know I am. Constantly. Comparing my life to other people. We think that if we are doing well compared to him, then we must be doing really, really good. Truthfully, shouldn't we always be able to find somebody we're doing better than? I mean, unless you're in prison. Shouldn't you always be able to find somebody who's worse than you? I mean, constantly, there's always people that are far worse than you are. So if people are our standard of measure, we're never going to have to really do anything because there's always going to be somebody that's way worse than we are in whatever we're struggling in. Are you all with me? And I think the way that we create a holy discontentment is not by comparing ourselves to people, but we compare ourselves to the holiness of God. We compare ourselves to God and we go, God, I am still so far God, I still need you greatly. God, you are holy, and we set our sights and our eyes. Because can I be honest with you? If I look at most dads, I'm better than most dads. I know I am. I read my Bible to my kids. I know most dads don't. I pray over my kids. I know most dads don't. I tell my kids I love them daily. I kiss them often. I know a lot of dads who don't. And if other dads are my measure of how good I'm doing, I'll feel really, really good. But my measure is when I come to Scripture and I see that I need to lead my kids well and I need to shepherd their heart well, I still see many areas in my own fathering that I'm missing it, that I need to grow. Are y'all with me here? 
Everybody with me on this? And a lot of times you think that your walk with God is doing really, really good, but you're comparing yourself to somebody else that's not doing really well, really well, and you think you're doing well. But you need to compare yourself to the holiness of God. See, here's the thing. Paul was way more concerned about his sin than he was about the sins of others. Do you notice Paul was always saying like, hey, I'm the chief of sinners. You know he was always saying that? I'm the chief of sinners. So he always knew his own brokenness and where he was. And if we want to create this holy discontent, we've got to constantly go back to God and go, God, what do you want? God, what, is, what does this look like? What does it look like to be a man of God according to your word? Not according to this guy, but according to your word, what does it say? Number two, surround yourself with people who are far godlier than you are. Surround yourself with people who are far godlier than you are. If you don't know the Bible then you should get around someone who knows the Bible. If you don't feel comfortable sharing your faith, then you get around people who are comfortable sharing their faith. If, if you surround yourself with a bunch of spiritual deadbeats, do not be surprised at why you are where you are and what you're going through. Y'all with me on that? Like if you're surrounding yourself with people who could care less about their spiritual walk with the Lord... Don't be surprised that you don't care about your spiritual walk with the Lord. If we want to create this holy discontentment, we've got to surround ourselves with people who are far godlier than we are. I'll show you how I do this practically. I, um, I, the OKC mission trip that we're going to be taking is actually to, um, to go be a part of uh, a church that's there that my brother and a friend of his started. And they started this church in the inner city of Oklahoma City. It's not like in the ritzy place of Oklahoma City. It's in the the down and out of Oklahoma City. It's in a part called the block. And in this block, 80% of people who go to prison in Oklahoma City come out of this block. And that's where their church is. And that's where they minister to. And they minister in these apartment complexes. And in regards to sharing my faith for Jesus, can I just, I'm not good at it. And some of you are like, whew, good. Because if you're not good at it, then I'm definitely not I, I, I just, I, I fail a lot of times. I get scared a lot of times when it comes to sharing my faith with people. But my brother, it's quite the opposite. The one who was a hellion growing up, now he's a hellion for Jesus, and he's just passionate about the things of God. And so if I'm feeling like, man, I just, I just need, I'll call my brother, and I'll just have him share all the things that he's doing. And it'll challenge the mess out of me yeah, we're living on this much money, and yeah, we're doing these kind of things, and man, yeah, this is what happened this week, and man, I shared my faith with this guy at Brahms. And, I mean, like, I, I'd go up there. We went up there last year. I mean, my brother just has a way of, like, just sharing Jesus with every person through, like, whatever means. I mean, the waitress will, like, come up and be like, here's your sandwich. And Jordan will be like, can you think, you think you can feed 5,000 people with that? <laughs> like, you know where he's going. Uh, no, sir, but I mean, we got other meals here that probably if we put a lot of these together, we maybe could feed 5,000 people. Um, and, well, my guy can feed 5,000 people with this. What can your guy do? Like, crazy stuff. Like, I, I don't do that. You know, I, I have a hard time doing that. I'm looking for somebody to be like, oh, who's going to take my soul? And I'd be like, I know who. Like, that's what I want. Like, that's. How many of you want that? Like, oh, I'm going to go to hell. Hey, we can make that. You don't have to. Like, I want somebody to come up to me and do that. 
But my brother just has this way of like just sharing Jesus with everybody, no matter what's going on. He has this ability. And so I love just calling him for him to challenge me in that. My grandmother is a woman of faith and a woman of worship. She loves the Lord passionately, and she prays ferociously for all of her grandkids, which is probably why all of her grandkids are serving the Lord, because of her prayers that we have been living out. And any time I just need someone to pray with, I'm picking up my phone and calling my grandmother because she is just that type woman of faith. We're going to believe. Anytime something's going on in the church, I let her know because I know she's going to be praying for us. She texts me this morning. Josh, I'm praying for you this morning, praying that God. I mean, she's just constantly praying, which challenges me to pray, to pray. And so do you surround yourself around people who are godlier than you, people who can challenge the way that you think, who can challenge you? Get around Pastor Bubba, and he challenges me in my marriage, and he challenges me. I mean, Pastor Bubba just loves people. When I came on staff, I hated people, hated people. Like, I'd walk into his house and, like, go sit down, and Pastor Bill would be like, hey. I'd be like, hey, what's going on? And Pastor Bill would sit down with me and be like, when you walk into somebody else's house, you need to tell the people's house that you're walking into, hello. I'm like, oh, that's, that's new. Oh, okay. And when, like, you go to church, and even though you're busy and doing things, like, you need to stop and, like, shake people's hand and, like, look them in the eye and tell them, do I have to? Yes, you need to. You're a pastor on staff. You have to like people. Okay. And I've grown in that area as I have surrounded myself with him and people who just love people. And that has become contagious and worn off on me. And so whatever area that you are weak in, whatever area that you are struggling in, get around people who are above you in that area that can challenge you in that, whether it's your marriage or your parenting or whatever that may be. Number three is this. Remember that growth is gradual. If you want to create a holy discontent in your life, you've got to remember that growth is going to be gradual. I have, a, I have a two-year-old, and he is a beast of a son, okay? His name's Joel, and he is the biggest boy I have. He is my third. I don't know what happens with third. They get, like, everything left over, gets poured into this one child. And he is just a beastly boy. He, he loves food. He loves to eat. He loves wrestling. He loves hitting, which my second one does too. But he is just, he's an animal. Like he'll just, things can just, his brothers beat up on him. He's got a seven and four-year-old brother. And like, it doesn't phase him. He's just like, he's going to be a ferocious linebacker one day. And so he loves these things. But my two-year-old and four-year-old and seven-year-old, they are growing But notice this, it does not happen overnight. I don't sit there and look at Joel and go, grow, Joel. Grow. I can see it. Lindsay, did you see that? Did you see that? I think his foot went from a 7 to a 10 in the past hour. Okay, it doesn't happen like that, does it? It doesn't. It's gradual growth. But, you know, as the year is progressing, like his pants aren't fitting. Like yesterday, Lindsay's like, don't put that shirt on him. I'm like, why not? She's like, that is way too tight. It makes him look like a chubby boy, okay? We need a bigger shirt now. I'm like, poor boy, man. I was like, he should be wearing these shirts, but he's not. He's, he's a big boy. And pants aren't fitting. And some of you do like the thing on the doorpost where you see like the, okay? Some of you, some of the way you know that your kids are growing by how you have to move things to accommodate them. 
Y'all know what I mean? Like, you know, if they want something, like you move it up to this, and then as they grow, they can get that, and so you move it up here, and then as they grow more, you kind of move it up here, and then, like, you move it up here, and then you start spanking them, okay, after that happens. Maybe some of y'all just start spanking down here. I don't know, but you start spanking them because they're getting, but that is a sign and a, a way to measure growth. And for all of us in here, we should be able to measure our growth. Now, you're not going to be like Jesus tomorrow. You're not going to be like Jesus next month or even next year, but you're going to be more like him. You should be more like him. Your desire for the word should be more like now my two-year-old can now start feeding himself. But for two years or so, we had to constantly kind of help him and dice up his stuff. My seven-year-old now like can go get his own stuff. That's nice. Praise God for that one. If anybody's got any little kids, you're just rejoicing for that day. Okay. My seven-year-old almost can shower himself now. Now, it's not too good. Uh, They can kind of brush their teeth, but when they come out, you're like, no, in. Okay, so they're starting to be able to do these things more and more. And so in this holy discontentment that we have, we need to see that our our growth is going to be gradual. It's not going to be fast. There will be some things that are immediate, but there's going to be a lot of things that take a long time. That marriage is going to take a lifetime. It's going to just take some time. Four, investigate your heart. Investigate your heart. You got to pay attention to where you have jealousy, where you got anger, where you got some unresolved conflict. You got to watch out for those things. And the thing that Paul, Paul knew where his weaknesses were. He always knew where his weaknesses were. And so he was always investigating those areas of his heart. Where do I find jealousy? Where do I find rage? Where do I find bitterness? Where do I find, like, where are those things coming from and attacking those things and getting after those things? Let's read uh, first, uh, Philippians 3.13. It says this. So, brothers, so we know he's got this holy discontentment, but let, let's look a little bit further. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. I love this because you know Paul's a pastor because he says one thing and then he lists like six. One thing I do, here's my list. Forgetting what lies behind, underline that please. Straining forward to what lies ahead, underline that please. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Forgetting what lies behind and straining for what is ahead. Let's, let's just talk real quick about forgetting what lies behind. Because the truth in all this is if you dwell too long on former successes, you have a tendency to become prideful. But I can also say this, that if you dwell too long on your failures, you tend to become paralyzed. So it's a balance. Because if you dwell too long on like, oh, those are the glory days, and God was so good, and God did this so much with me you become prideful and you don't think that you need God as much. But then if things have happened in your past where you've just blown it or things have happened to you, you can become paralyzed by thinking about that too much and it will paralyze you from being able to do anything in the future. Like, oh, I can't lead anymore because last time I led, this is what happened. Or I can't share my faith anymore because last time I shared my faith, I got like 
beat down or I can't do this anymore. And, and what Paul is saying is he's got to forget what lies behind and strain forward. Now, I want you to know something about Paul because Paul, if there's anything about Paul, Paul knows both sides of what we deal with. Paul knew what it was to be a moral man, to be upright and blameless, one who was perfect, perfect to the law. But he also knew what it was like to utterly fail. Do we know what Paul's name was before it was Paul? It was Saul. Do you know anything about Saul? Saul lived a life that he would really like to forget. Saul was known as a guy who breathed down the church's neck to kill them. Acts chapter 8, 7 and 8, actually is a guy by the name of Stephen, who is a man of God. And the Bible says that the people are stoning him, and Saul is standing right in front of him with all of his clothes before him, joyfully laughing, at the fact that they are stoning this guy. Do you not think that that haunts him? And that from there, chapter 8 says that Saul is breathing down the neck of the church. He has gotten full license to go and arrest and torture and kill any Christians he desires. Do you not think that when he got saved and then he walks into those same cities, which he himself tortured and ransacked and killed, that he did not have some things that were playing through his mind? And so when you see this verse, I want you to picture Saul looking at those things going, oh my God. I mean, I killed people for fun. Anybody got that on their resume? So there's one side of us that He's a really perfect and righteous man, and there's another side of, us, side of him where he's just... So he relates to both sides. For, for those of you who have been perfect and blameless, and you were raised in the church, and the pastor spanked your butt when you came out of the birth canal, and he was there, and you got saved right then, and that's just been your story, and you never did stuff like I did, and that's maybe your story. Or maybe you're the total opposite extreme. You came out, and like the, the doctor threw a cigar in your mouth and had a playboy for you right there, and that's been your life. Maybe that's been you. Total on the opposite side. Your, your, your bottle was, was vodka or liquor. That's what your parents gave to you. And Paul's going, I, I, I can relate to both. But forgetting what lies behind. Now, this is what I want you to see about forgetting what lies behind. Paul does not forget it to the point that he doesn't remember what he did. He knows exactly what he did. He forgets it to the point that he's let God redeem that. And now he can talk about it and boast in it because now it's a strength of his. See, this is how the enemy works. And this is the great thing about the gospel because the gospel takes broken people and our failures and our flaws. And he redeems them and he reconciles them. Then he takes the things that we utterly are ashamed of, and he makes them glorious for his glory. So Paul's going, I used to kill people, but because of Christ, he has now made me a new man. So now he can talk about it. I'm going to tell you how you know if you've forgotten about something. Not if you've forgotten about it, and I don't want to think about it. You know you've forgotten about something when you can talk about it. And if you can't talk about it, you haven't forgotten about it. See, I love hearing the testimonies of people that are getting baptized and getting their lives saved, and they're going, I was into pornography heavily. I committed adultery on my wife or on my husband, or I just tra- I had a train wreck of a marriage, or I just did poorly with my children. But God, 
Y'all with me? But God is doing and working all things out. So God takes something that was so bad, and now he's giving himself great glory through it. And so what we have here is we have this idea that Paul is saying, listen, if you want to have a holy discontentment, you've got to forget what lies behind you, and you've got to strain forward. You've got to strain forward. Now, there are a few words that we really like, and strain is not one of them. Work, toil, press. If there's any words that we try to stay away from, it would be strain, toil, work, press. Hey, how you working? Oh, hardly working. <laughs> hey, how, how's the straining going? Not doing much of it. Any toil? Trying to stay away. <laughs> we try to stay away from these things, and Paul's going, no, I strain forward. I toil forward. And this is the picture that I want you to get, because in First and Second Timothy, he gives this illustration of an athlete that is straining and striving for a goal. And all the men in here that watch sports, you kind of understand this. In 2012, in the summer of 2012, we're going to have the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Anybody in here love watching Olympics? I think it's so cool. But here's what I want you to think. Think about this. There are men and women who train their entire lifetime, for some of them, for nine seconds. Can you think about that? Some that train 8, 10, 12 years for nine seconds. And that's why when you see, like, they're running and they pull a hammy and they're, like, crying hysterically, you know what they're thinking? I just gave 10 years of my life to this, and I couldn't even complete what I came to do. Now you see like the weight of that that's on them. And when he says here, forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead, it, it's, it gives us this picture of an Olympian that is training. When an Olympian is training, they're watching everything that they eat. I mean, they're like counting blueberries. I don't count blueberries because I barely eat blueberries. But when I eat them, I just eat them. I don't count them. But when you're straining forward for something, you're counting everything. You are very disciplined in the things that you do and what you eat and what you don't eat, how much sleep that you get, when you have to drink this protein and when you got to exercise. And you are toiling and working and straining all for this one goal. And this is the picture that Paul is giving us. The reason he has a holy discontent and that he wants more of God is because he's constantly straining for more of God. Y'all with me? And so he says that he's straining. Look at this. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upper call of God in Christ. Now I want you to look at verse 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Let us hold true to what we have obtained. So here's a question. What have you already obtained? What has God already revealed to you that you know that you need to do that you're not doing? What is that? All of us know what that is. We all have different areas of our lives that God's got his finger on, and he's constantly pointing at that area of our life, and he's going, what you've already obtained, lay hold of that. I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I don't think this church needs more new revelation. I just think we need to obey the revelation we already know. Because here's what I've learned the more I take the revelations that God gives me in different areas of my life and I go and obey them, then God gives me more revelation. 
But God doesn't speak when the last time he spoke to you, you didn't obey. Are y'all with me on that? Y'all know how that works? Like your son comes out of the room, you know, out of his room, and you look at him and go, son, your room is a mess. You need to go clean your room. Ten minutes later, he comes out, hey, dad, can I play the Wii? What's the first question I'm going to ask him? Did you go clean your room? And he's going to look at me and go, no, I'm going to do that later. And I go, no, 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 hold up. Go clean your room right now. You can play whatever you want after. Go clean your room now. So he goes in there, fiddles around for 30, 45 minutes, comes back out. Hey, can I go play now? Did you clean your room? Uh, no, I, Dad, you know, I was going to get to it. I mean, I'm going to invite some friends over. And we're, no, no, no. Go clean your room. See, for many of us, we want to get to, like, multiplication and don't want to learn addition. We don't want, like, the simple things of the faith. Like, Jesus is like, love me, follow me, pursue me, leave all these things alone, come after me. And we're like, God, give me great revelation. And he's going, love me, follow me, put these things aside. This is what you need to do with your money. This is how you need to raise your kids. Okay, but God, I want to know. Okay, love me, follow me, love your neighbors. Are y'all with me here? It's like a repetitive parent. And God is wanting us to know, listen, you need to come back to the things that he's already told you. Are you doing those things? And if you are, then God's going to give you more revelation. But if you're not doing those things, you need to go back to those things. Let's wrap it up. Verse 19. Let's jump to verse 19. It says this. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and with mind set on what? What does it say? Their mind is set on? Come on, you're fading. Your mind is set on? earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I want to sum up this entire message into two questions. And I think if you want to grow, how many want to grow? Okay. All right. If you want to grow, you got to answer these two questions. Y'all ready? Here they are. First question, got to have the answers to these. What stirs your affections for Jesus? What stirs your affections for Jesus? What are the things that when you're around it, when you're doing it, when you hear about it, it just stirs your affections for Jesus? What is that thing? I'll give you a couple. For me, I love music. I love loud music. And... Come on. And so, like, if you're in my little scion with me, people that are next to me probably think I'm crazy because it's always loud. I, I like loud music in my house. Lindsay's like, can you turn it down? I can't even hear myself think. I'm like, that's what I love. I love it. I will not be able to hear in about 10 years, but that's okay. For now, I can hear. And I love loud passionate music that exalts Christ and has incredible words. I don't like the fluffy stuff, like the good, rich stuff. Before I got here this morning, I got here early and I went to the office and I blared at my music in my office. That's what I do. I love good books. Not like Hunger Game books or whatever. I mean a good book that is rich and deep and makes me think. Those type of books where you read it and you're like, what did I just read? Like those type of books. I love those type of books that press on me to want to know more about 
who God is because I feel like there's still so much more that I do not know. I know there is. And I love deep books. I have a systematic theology book that's like this big, and I'm like this far into it. But I love those kind of books because they challenge me. I love great friends with great food, with great conversation. That, I just, I love that. It, that stirs my affections for Jesus when I can sit around a table with a ribeye steak and mashed potatoes. Come on, you with me? Y'all getting hungry already? And some green beans and a good roll and, and just eat this incredible food and have great friends over at our house and have great conversation. Like, that stirs my affections for Jesus. I love that. I love being at Jennings Elementary. I love being around people who are broken because it makes me appreciate everything that I have. So you know what I want to do? I want to constantly be around that because it reminds me of what I need. I love date nights with my wife. Stirs my affections for Jesus because she's constantly sharing what God's doing in her heart, which just challenges me to be the husband that I need to be. I love reading the Bible. I think that should be obvious. But I love reading scripture. So I don't know what that is for you, but you need to answer that question. And then let me tell you this. You need to flood your life with that. For some people, they love going to the cemetery. Because when they see people there that are dead, especially people that were born the same year that they were, it reminds them that life is short. I don't know what it is for you. I put it on Facebook yesterday, and so many people had so many different answers. But it's different for every person in here. But you got to find what that is that stirs your affections for Jesus. And then this is where I think it's really going to hit home, because this is where it hits the most home. And we'll wrap it up with this. Number two is what robs your affections for Jesus? What robs your affections for Jesus? And this is where I have to be most conscious. I'll be brutally honest with this. The things that rob my affections for Jesus are things that are usually morally neutral. Like if I walked out this room right now and somebody came up to me and they said, hey man, I got some heroin, you want some? (laughs) I don't, for me... I don't have to go and do, let's do a pro and cons list on this. Okay, pro, I could feel really good for about an hour. Cons, I could lose my wife, I could lose my kids. I probably would lose my job. Like, I don't have to do that. Because for me, that's not a thing that I deal with. Maybe for some of you, that is. But for me, it's morally, things that are morally neutral. And I'll, I'll give it to this because I think some of you may really identify with this. I can't watch too much TV. Because I will get lulled to sleep and start laughing at things that God hates. I find myself doing it all the time. And I'll, 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 get, I'll get engrossed in... TV shows that have no, nothing to add to my life. I can't be on Facebook too much. 
because I'll start getting more consumed by what people are saying about me, about other people. Like I'm just nosy. Can we be honest in here? That's why it's very addicting. Because you like to know what's going on in other people's lives. And I think there's some great things to it. But I have to be very careful with it because I'll wake up in the morning and check it. Before I go to bed, I'll check it. While I'm using the bathroom, I'll check it. That might have been TMI there. (laughs) But you're constantly engrossed with it. Instagram, Twitter, whatever. And I'll be so consumed with what people are writing and saying and doing. How many likes did I get? Really? Who cares? I, I can't follow sports too much. And I love sports. I'm a sportsaholic. And that's the problem. Because I'll care. I love football. I love college football. I, I, I love UFC. I don't know what it is about two men beating each other up, but it is very, very nice. I love it. And if, I, if, I don't, if I'm not careful, I will start to invest all of my time into those things. I mean, do you not find it weird that grown men paint their bodies? And then when some... <laughs> And then when a man misses a field goal, people like go into utter depression. Does that not bother you? Does it not bother you that more people are excited about a boy coming to Lake Charles to sing on a stage for a show than coming to church and worshiping the King of Kings? Like I see Christian people talking more about Joshua Ledet than Jesus. And that bothers me. I see men consume with hunting and sports. And this is coming from a man who loves that. But then says that they can't talk about Jesus. And that they somehow can't read their Bible and know anything about the Bible. But man, ask them about a stat about a player. They'll rat it off just like that. He's 5'7", runs a 4'2", this, 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 and this. Really? So for me, I cannot get engrossed in those things. I did fantasy football like two years ago. It was the funnest thing I'd ever done. But I found out that I was so engaged in it that I neglected my family, my kids, and my Lord because I was so worried about if someone scored a touchdown. So the next year when it came around, I was like, I I can't do it because I know I will become addicted to that. It'll become everything that I do. I'll put everything into that. And so I have to watch those things that rob my affections for the Lord. And so here's my challenge. Consume your life with things that stir your affections to make you love Jesus, worship Jesus, and serve Jesus. Consume your life with that. And avoid as much as you can the things that rob your affections of Jesus. That's my, that's my cry today. Can we do that? And I think if we do that, we'll have a holy discontentment for where we are in a very good way. Because we'll never be satisfied. We'll always want more. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for the words that we see today in Scripture. 
And God, I pray right now for a very holy discontentment to flood our hearts and our lives. God, I pray that we would not be so consumed with sports or Facebook or TV or outdoors. God, we can even be consumed with our kids or our wives and and yet neglect you. I pray that you would identify in each person the things that stir their affections for you. Help them find what that is. And then I pray that you would empower them to consume their lives with those things. And God, I pray that they would be so ferocious over the things that rob their affections for you. Lord, it it may be movies or TVs. It may be their own pride. It may, be a, uh, it may be a relationship with a person. When they're, just, when they're dating this person, it just consumes their life and they, it robs all the affection that you want. And God, you are one God and you are a jealous God and you deserve everything that we have to give to you. And so Father, we pray right now, Lord, that you would, you would do a work in us. Do a work in us. Thank you for the example that we have in Paul, Lord, as he failed so much. He succeeded so much, but yet in all those things, he counted all of that as rubbish to knowing you. So God, my prayer today is that we would not be consumed with just reading the Bible or consumed with just doing Christian things, but that we would be consumed with just knowing you, knowing you, knowing you. Lord, I pray that you would be with every person today. Speak to them today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.